In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the geek culture podcast from the USA Today Network. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I'm the only person here. I'm Brian Truitt. I watch movies. And everybody else is not here, so it's just going to be me. But we do have a special guest, but we'll get to in a second. If this is your first time listening to us, welcome. New episodes drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. We're also on Spotify, which is pretty awesome. And hey, while you're on Apple Podcasts, wouldn't it be swell if you could write a quick review about the show? By doing that, you'll be helping other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us. And as a thank you, we'll give you a very special shout-out on our next episode. So try it out. Tell us what you want to see from the show moving forward. It's all upside for you. And don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at MothershipPod, or you can send an email to MothershipPod at USAToday.com. Now on to the main topic and my guest today. Here's a clip. A fairy tale has a way of getting into your head, even before you hear it. Somehow you just know it. And it always went like this. Pleased to make your acquaintance. I'm called Gretel, and this rough one here is my brother Hansel. Ouch! Tell me how you came to be in my woods. There's too much, and it isn't right. You're scared. There's something wrong here. Careful, dear. I'd hate for you to start something you can't stop. That was a clip from Gretel and Hansel. You read that right. Gretel and Hansel, not Hansel and Gretel. It's a new horror film starring Sophia Lillis, whom you might know as one of the Losers Club from It, that reimagines the old Brothers Grimm story of two hungry kids and a cannibalistic witch. Our special guest this week is the director, Osgood Perkins, an on-the-rise filmmaker in the horror space, who's also done The Black Coat's Daughter and Netflix's I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. A fun fact, Oz is the son of Anthony Parkins, best known for freaking out everyone, as Norman Bates and Alfred Hitchcock's classic Psycho. Thanks for coming on the show, Oz. My pleasure. So how are things going? You got your movie coming out Friday. Are you super excited? I think I've been coming more and more, I don't want to say excited, but how about comfortable, based on the fact that people watching it seem to be getting it and feeling okay about it. So I, I suppose I'm increasingly comfortable. I, excited? I don't know. That sounds, that, that's, that sounds like another world to me. <laughs> Uh, so what led you to taking a new spin on Hansel and Gretel? I mean, are you kind of, in general, a big fairy tale guy? I think it'd be weird if I was a 45, almost 46-year-old guy who was a big fairy tale guy. But I feel like <laughs> um, the script came to me and I really, it really kind of struck me how elegantly uh, faithful to the original story it was. And I thought that was really brave. The choice to sort of just do what it was and not be apologist and not kind of try to clutter the movie or the story with a bunch of stuff that someone thinks an audience wants to see or blah, blah, blah. It was really just um, 
it was Hansel and Gretel for the most part when it came to me. And um, so I was sort of drawn to the boldness of the original with no, with no apology. I really like the visuals in the movie. I mean, you know, there's the there's a scene where the kids are tripping on mushrooms, but also kind of like just everything in that kind of coolly geometric house, you know, the just how it looks from the outside, but then like the ornate feast inside, and and just the witch too, and you know, the black fingers are are just such a cool touch, and obviously that kind of plays into you know, kind of the the climax of it too. But kind of, what were your inspirations overall for for the style of of what we see in this? To sort of just back into it in a slightly different way, we I kind of approached it from a place of look, if this is going to be a story that everybody knows, then I want to make sure that we're presenting it at least in the outfit of something that no one's ever really seen, or a, sort of a combination of elements, and that we really want it to be our own world that's really only dependent on itself, right? So there's not any greater context. So the idea right from the beginning was kind of, rather than saying, this is how I want it to look, it started with, this is how I don't want it to look. It definitely can't look like the show Vikings, or it can't look like Game of Thrones, or it can't look like The Hobbit. Like that kind of sort of really rustic, kind of old world look was just not what we were gonna it's just like it wasn't going to be allowed and so as soon as you sort of tell your designers that it's not that and that's just code for it's not generic um it's amazing how fast everyone kind of clicks into their own wells of creativity because that's the great thing about being a film director you're surrounded by people who are sort of experts in a certain element and you find the right brilliant crazy people and when you say to them it can't be this but it can be anything else it really excites everybody and you sort of all together find what it is going to be. Well, I really love how, how the Enchantress looked, which Enchantress is different than the witch, but it's just like, you know, it's like an absence of everything, you know, kind of the, the black covering over her head, yep. you know, kind of the, the old school hat, just everything about that character is mysterious, but just kind of like it pops on screen because you're like, I kind of want to know what's under there, but I really don't in another way then uh, it seems like we were successful with our design. Cool. And also, I found it kind of a sneakily an empowerment film because you explore the consequences of actually having power and getting power. Was that something you were thinking about kind of when making it? Was kind of having that underlying message of like, power corrupts, but it also is good in its own way? Yeah, and I think it, it's also just sort of a, a basic thematic understanding of kind of any extreme is trouble right it's like as you become more and more of an adult you realize that like the goal of life is not ecstasy the goal of life is contentment right the goal of life is to feel like content in the middle and not to be wildly in either direction and so i feel like the vibe of this movie is like finding a centered self one that is neither good or bad one that is neither victim nor oppressor one that is neither female or male, I suppose you could say. So kind of trying to rid ourselves a little bit of the um, the really hard binary understanding of things and kind of trying to live more in the gray area. What overall draws you to horror? Were you a big fan of, of the genre growing up or is that something you kind of came to later in life? Well, I was aware of sort of my dad's place in the legacy of, of, of horror movies. It was, it was not something that was lost on me. And so I think that, that a certain kind of desire yearning to connect with 
father, or, or as Joseph Campbell would call it, sort of atonement with the father figure, I suppose, led me into the into the into the realm of it. But um, you know, what's kept me there is the feeling of the horror genre being, in a way, the most profound because it's it's centered in dealing around the kind of one thing that is to say, death that all human beings are, uh, we all share and we're all kind of, you know, handling our way. And it just seemed to me that the, the horror pictures that I'd loved in my life were not grotesque. They were actually rather beautiful and sort of sad and mournful. And it felt um, that kind of uh, posture resonates with, with what I find uh, compelling. So your first acting gig was playing a, a 12-year-old Norman Bates in Psycho 2. Do you remember what that experience was like, and how cool was it for you to be there with your dad? Uh, it was scary, actually, and that's, that was the thing that sort of that really impacted me the most, I think, was the quality of, of you know, they had, they had built this sort of atmosphere, um, this environment and this atmosphere, they they built it out of nothing. And I knew that it was built. I knew that I was standing on a set on the Universal Studios back lot. And I knew that my dad was playing a part. And I knew that it was all phony. And I knew that there were cameras there. Um, and still, I was really moved by the kind of all over feeling of the day, which was, you know, there was kind of no question that it was also somehow real, which to me, I think more than anything, just kind of planted in me a, a real kind of respect for the vibe of something. And so I think I tend to, when I'm planning the movies that I make, a, a lot of it is, for lack of a better word, it's very vibey and it's very kind of textural and it's sort of trying to get the other people who are making the movie with me to kind of get in step with the rhythm of that energy or the rhythm of that vibe. I know it all sounds really a, a sort of amorphic and sort of all over the place. But when you, when you start creating, it really is everything is possible and the job becomes, which of those things am I going to choose? So at that point, had you seen the original Psycho or is that something that your dad didn't let you watch for a while? It was something that we just didn't watch for a while. I don't know that it was even like a conscious decision to not watch it. It was just kind of one of those things where it was like, I don't know if we took it for granted or what. I knew to be a afraid of it. Like I, I knew that mm -hmm. I didn't want to see it. Um, I knew that it was potentially scary. Um, but then sort of like my brother and I went through a period where we were really into like horror movies. And so we, <laughs> you know, I saw the toxic Avenger before I saw psycho for instance. So I saw like some really like gruesome, ridiculous before I saw, you know, arguably the best picture in the genre. So when you finally sat down and watched it, how old were you and kind of did it blow your mind a little bit? I don't remember having my mind blown by it, but I do remember and all and to this day maintain a real uh, sense of pride. It's a it's a it's a it's definitely a source of pride for me. It's it's something that that you know uh, I'm I'm a very harsh critic, and my dad was was an even harsher critic than I am. And I think the fact that you're I'm I'm able to, and I think he was too, but I'll speak for myself. I'm able to look at that movie and really see just what a uh, evolved thing it is both on its own as a narrative and as a, as, a, as a visual experience and as an auditory experience, but also just how kind of vanguard his uh, performances, how naturalistic it is uh, in, this, in 1960 when things were so, you know, for the large part, really kind of theatrical. And I think that his performance is really so naturalistic. It, it always surprises me. I'm really impressed by your filmography as an actor. I mean, there's Six Degrees of Separation, Legally Blonde, Alias Star Trek, not another teen movie. 
do you have a favorite among them all? A favorite role? Uh, I mean, the Legally Blonde thing has been kind of good to me the whole time. I feel like that's a movie that's that's for, you know, has just become a classic. And, and actually, every time I kind of see like a snippet of it, I'm I'm I, I'm sort of surprised by how kind of old it seems. I mean, it, it is 20 years old by now. Uh, it seems like an old movie. And I feel like that that part was something that when I came on to Legally Blonde, that part was not really a part. And just sort of over the course of shooting and me kind of finding the character and what it was like, we ended up adding a bunch of stuff. So I felt like I really was able to kind of impact that that movie in a weird way. And people people love that character still. I get, I mean, I get daily people coming up to me telling me how much they love that guy. <laughs> Do you feel like you'll ever act again, or is that you kind of have? Are you put? Are you putting everything into directing and writing and everything at this point? Um, I think I'll probably show up on screen again at some point. I, I sometimes plan to do that. And then you, you get into the weeds of making a movie and you're like, what the f*** am I thinking? Like adding an extra element of kind of like to deal with putting myself on camera. And maybe I'll just give it to somebody else who, who needs it as much or more than I do. So yeah, at some point, yes. But up to this point, I've just been kind of, it's hard to make a movie, you know, and I'm still pretty new at this. So I've only made three movies. So coming up, I'll probably show up. It is award season and all, and, you know, it's January, so it's still cool to look back at 2019. But what movie last year would you give a best horror Oscar to? What was your favorite horror movie? Uh, I'm sad to say that I missed a lot of them. I, I'm i I'm sort of strangely, uh, what's the word, avoidant. I avoid things like I've never seen Midsommar, for instance. I've never seen uh, The Lighthouse, for instance. Like, I just, these are movies I end up getting to sort of later when my when when I'm clear of the my things that I'm doing for whatever reason I, I it, it infringes on my so it's a weakness of mine that I acknowledge the best um horror movie I mean I don't know if we can talk about Parasite as being a horror movie because it has certain aspects and certain sort of generic signposts that push it in that direction but it's obviously not I feel like I stopped I think I in something I thought the smartest move the smartest movie this year, the smartest horror movie was Us. And I thought mm -hmm. that not even necessarily because of the content, which is obviously so kind of like exactly what it should be. But I feel like his decision to make a, a movie for a movie going experience, like for the pleasure of the audience, I thought was really so clever of him. He's such a smart guy and such a sort of a sophisticated thinker. And my kind of when they first announced us, I was like, oh, he's making some like super serious movie about a, a relationship. It's going to be like a, a horror movie about like people and relationships. It's going to be like real serious and like he's so smart. And then he ends up making this really kind of populous, fun, funny, wild kind of popcorn movie that really works. I thought it was so clever. Well, and I love that it's really hands across America. Growing up in the 80s like I did, I, that's kind of like, you don't think that's ever going to come back around as an inspiration for like a really neat horror film, modern horror film, but there, you know, there it was. Alone the fact that the title is both us and US is, uh, even if he hadn't done anything and just made, even if it was just that, it would be smarter than most of us. <laughs> for, for sure. So in terms of, if you were going to give out actor and actress lifetime horror achievement awards, who would you give them to? Like, who are your favorite horror actor and actress of all time? The best horror performance by an actor or an actress, I think, is Shelley Duvall in The Shining. Is the best kind of like overall horror performance, male or female. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to give Shelly Duvall a lifetime for being able to hang in there with those <laughs> megalomaniac um, <laughs> blowhard geniuses who are kind of spraying their <laughs> all over the place. And um, there's unbelievable Shelly Duvall there to absorb it all. She's really um, so vital to that movie. So what's next for you? Is Head Full of Ghosts kind of your next project that you're tackling? It's uh, one of the candidates. The very next thing I'm going to do, speaking of Jordan, is, you know, he does The Twilight Zone, and I have written an original episode, and I'm directing an episode of The Twilight Zone for those guys. Oh, neat. How how fun was that for you? It was great. You know, they, they reached out to me. We've wanted to do something together. His company is called Monkey Paw. Monkey Paw and I have wanted to do something together. We've sort of been in development on a couple things, and it just sort of came to me that they wanted me to try an episode. And so they said, well, do you want one of our kind of existing ideas that we're playing around with in the writer's room? And I said, no, 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 no. I'll I'll figure something out. And so I brought to them a really, really far out kind of meta episode and um, got no notes back on my script. So off we go to make it next week. Oh, cool. Can you say anything about who's starring it or, or what it's about or tease any of it? I have a feeling they would cut off some part of my anatomy if I said anything <laughs> to you about it. You know, you mentioned you've, you've done three horror films and now you got a Twilight Zone episode. But do you feel like it's a really cool place where you're at where, you know, Jordan Peele will come out to you and be like, yeah, we want you to do a Twilight Zone episode. And, you you know, people are going to see Gretel and Hansel this weekend. You know, is that, are you in a cool place in terms of kind of getting your voice out and people hearing your voice now? I listen to the people who are closest to me who keep telling me I'm in a really cool place. And uh, it helps me to like take my hands off my face or like my hands out of my hair or like it just, it gives me a respite for a moment of just like sheer free fall doubt. But as it is, it seems like everything's going to be fine. So yes, ultimately I've been convinced that I'm in a very good place. (laughs) Cool, man. Well, anything else you want to add? Anything else you have coming up? Of note, uh, no, nothing really to add. Only to say that you know the stress for me on this movie, or the sort of the, the emphasis I want to put on this movie, is that it's it is for, it's designed for kids, and I'm not talking about five year old kids, but it is designed for the 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old crowd. It's pleasurable for adults, as anything worth that's for kids ought to be. But really, it was made for kids, and so my hope is that they'll see that it's a PG thirteen movie and not a hard R movie and that they'll go and see what it's all about and that they'll be treated to something they weren't expecting. Sophia is so good in this. I mean, she's good in like everything that she does. It's kind of crazy how good that kid is. But she really shines in this because she gets to do a lot with the themes and just kind of like working with, you know, kind of her brother and the witch and everything. Yeah, she's she's uh, really special and it's uncommon, I think, for an actor to have the kind of sort of eyes and expression even when it's the smallest expression because she's a very small actor she's a very minimalist actor which to me is my favorite and i think it's the best for film acting you think of people like steve mcqueen for instance who made it their business to do as next to nothing as they possibly could some people are just interesting and some people are just readable by the camera and sophia lillis is that person cool well again i appreciate you taking the time and um, good luck with everything that you're working on thanks very much dude Okay, listeners, your turn. Are you going to see Gretel and Hansel? What's your favorite twisted fairy tale? Let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, but you can also tweet us individually. 
I'm at Brian Truitt. Brett Molina, who is not here, you can reach him at Brett Molina23. And Kelly Lawler is also not here, but you can reach her at KLALS, K L A W L S. And don't forget, you can email us too. We're at mothershippod at usatoday.com. But we're going to wrap up things here. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilots slash producers of Mothership this week, Shannon Green and Natalie Boyd. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to the Mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. We're now on Spotify, so when you're listening to like Taylor Swift or Billie Eilish or Lizzo or whatever, ask to your playlist. Wherever Billie Eilish goes, we can be there too. Until next Friday, nerds out.